Pardes North America presents Greatest Hits, The High Holidays, a curated collection of premium high holiday content from the Pardes archives. We hope it brings additional meaning to your Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur experience. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. For more high holiday learning opportunities, visit pardes.org.il forward slash events. And now, Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. This week, instead of discussing the Parsha, Parsha Ta'azinu, I would like to look at the Haftarah. The Haftarah, which is from Hosea, chapter 14, which begins with the words, Shuva Yisrael. And for this reason, this Shabbat is named Shabbat Shuva. Shuva Yisrael, return Israel. Ad Hashem Elokecha, until the Lord your God, Ki chashalta ba'avonecha, because you have stumbled in your sin. Kichu imachem dvarim, take with you words, v'shuvu el Hashem, and return to the Lord. Imru elav, say to him, kol tisa avon v'kachtov, lift up all sin, forgive all sin. Take good, unishalma farim sifatenu, and let our lips give payment in lieu of sacrifices. The central theme of this section is teshuva, repentance. And I would like to devote this section to examining selections from Maimonides' Laws of Repentance from his Mishnah Torah, coupled with many ideas that I heard over a period of time from lectures given by Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik of Blessed Memory, lectures that were later compiled in a book by Rabbi Pinchas Peli, called Unrepentance. I am attaching a sheet with selections from Maimonides' Laws of Repentance, and you can follow me on the sheet. In reference number one, in his introduction to the Laws of Repentance, Maimonides defines what is the mitzvah. And he says that a sinner should repent from his sin before God and confess. There are two aspects to this mitzvah. Confession and repentance. What is the relationship between the two? Rabbi Soloveitchik drew a very interesting parallel between these two and between prayer and made the following distinction. There is the formal act, but then there is the experience. When we pray, the formal act 
is the recitation of the Amidah, the 18 blessings, or on festivals, the seven blessings. One does not fulfill their obligation of prayer unless they say this formula. Yet nevertheless, the essence of prayer is not a declaration, is not a recitation. The essence of prayer is service of the heart. The essence of prayer, service of God. There is a formula that I need to recite, but that formula is a crystallization, is a springboard of deep-seated emotions that I experience when I pray. Similarly, vidui, confession, is a formula that one needs to do. But it is a formula which reflects an internal process which is going on within the individual called tshuva. And in the same way, that saying the words of the Amidah without kavanah, without a profound inner feeling, is like having a shell without any content. The same is true of vidui, without tshuva. It is a hollow shell. I would like to throw in another parallel, and that is sacrifices. In the verses which I just read, at the end of verse 3, it says, Unishalma farim sifatenu. And let our lips now make the payment of the bulls of the sacrifices. Sacrifices are also a formal act which we do. But the sacrifices need to be accompanied by the feeling of service of God. And this is why we find throughout the prophets that the prophets are constantly railing against the sacrifices. Not because they see sacrifices as being inherently meaningless, but because they see the sacrifices that were brought in their times as once again being a hollow shell without any content. If I take this latter analogy between confession and sacrifice, I then get a better understanding of the Rambam in chapter one of his Laws of Repentance. In the whole book of Leviticus, 
we find that the essential purpose of sacrifices is to bring about atonement. And in fact, we will be celebrating very soon the Day of Atonement. The Vidui, the Confession, which Maimonides discusses in detail in Chapter 1, Halakha Aleph, Law 1, or on my sheet you can see this in reference number 2, the Vidui is in lieu of the sacrifices, which means that the Vidui is essential in order to achieve atonement. And in fact, Maimonides says this later on, that nowadays, when we no longer have a temple, and we no longer have any sacrifices, what brings about our atonement is tshuva. This is in Halakha Gimel, Halakha 3, Amashit. Tshuva is in lieu of the sacrifices. The vidui is the articulation of the tshuva, the crystallization of the tshuva. What do we mean by atonement? Perhaps if you look at the word in English, I can divide into two words, at one, where the meaning is reconciliation, bringing together. And that concept is articulated in the idea of tshuva. Tshuva means, is related to the word shuva, come back, return. The idea being, when an individual sins, they break their relationship with God. They abandon God. They are cut off from God. Tshuva is a process that brings us back into relationship with God. It brings us back to a reconciliation with God. And the mechanism by which we do that is vidui. And in fact, Rabbi Salvechik, in one of his lectures, said that when we do the vidui, we are in effect reenacting the covenant with God. Renewing the covenant with God. Because every time we sin, we break the covenant. Let us examine for a moment, in more detail, this confession. In reference number two, 
which is chapter 1, Halakha 1, in Maimonides. He says, and this is six lines down, how does one confess? He says, Please, Hashem, I have sinned, transgressed, acted criminally before you, and have done such and such. Behold, I regret and am embarrassed for my actions, and I will never return to this thing again. This is the essence of the confession. There are three parts to the confession over here. And one of my students mentioned that he heard a rabbi say, it's the three R's. What are they? Recognition, regret, and resolve. The first part of the confession is that I acknowledge that I sinned. I don't just acknowledge it generally, but I specify. I have to say, I have done such and such. The second part is that I regret it. I'm embarrassed. And the third is that I accept upon myself that I will never do this again in the future. When I mentioned earlier that Rabbi Soloveitchik sees the confession as being a renewal of the covenant, he connects it with the third aspect, which is the commitment, the resolve, never to do it again. It is an acceptance for the future. It is, in effect, saying, I am now committing myself, I will do, similar to what the Jews said at Mount Sinai. But before we can renew the covenant, there has to be the acknowledgement of what was done. There has to be the regret. And there also has to be another element. The very first thing which we do in the confession is to say, please Hashem, please God. And it begs the question, why? Why do I have to ask please? And the answer seems to be, that I have to ask permission from God to do this process. Reaching a reconciliation with God is not something to be taken for granted, to be taken as a given. I have to acknowledge that this is an unbelievable kindness which God is doing with me to allow me the opportunity to once again be in relationship with him, to not shut the door. And I have to beg God, please open the door so that I can once again have a relationship with you. I 
I imagine that some of us at least can imagine a situation where we may have wronged someone, hurt someone, and then we would like to make up. And we call them up on the phone, and they hang up. And every time that we call, they don't want to answer. They have the answering machine on. And perhaps in that situation, it at least gives us an opportunity to say, please, just answer the phone. Give me a chance to express what, what I'm really feeling. It takes an act of magnanimity to answer the phone, to open the door, to be willing to somehow erase what was, forgive, to not demand any consequences. Rabbi Soloveitchik speaks about the idea of sin generating a consequence, dictating a punishment. When one sins, there is a penalty, a penalty to be paid. Kapara is an attempt to get forgiveness, to wipe away my debit, to be able to have a clean slate. And in that attempt, Vidui is central. In the same way that once upon a time, bringing sacrifices was central. I need to do an act. I need to say something which will crystallize my feelings, which will somehow show God that I am serious. And yet, nevertheless, when one brings a sacrifice or when one says these words, it is a token payment of what should really be given to God. And therefore, it's important for me to acknowledge the magnanimity of God to not demand it, but to beg it when I say, please, Hashem. Perhaps there's also another recognition. And that is, when you say, please, Hashem, you're also asking God, help me in my resolve. Yes, I am making a resolution that I will never do this again. I am sincere. But I also recognize that I'm a human being. And as a human being, I'm very vulnerable. I'm someone who could easily fall back into, th into the throes of sin. And therefore, I'm asking you, God, help me in my resolve. There's an acknowledgement 
that without God, I cannot change. Without God, I cannot transcend myself. Without God, I am very much a function of the laws of physics, the laws of inertia, of continuing to go into the same path. I need an opposing force to get me to change, to move me in a different direction. What I've just been discussing, I think you can see in the Haftarah in verse 3, when it says, Take with you words, the words being the vidui. Say to God, lift up our sin, forgive us, take the good in us. Perhaps now is the time to emphasize Vidui is something which I need to do for any sin. And what I need to do in terms of getting forgiveness for that sin. So that I can somehow clear my slate with God. Start a new leaf. But on Yom Kippur... Vidui is a central part of our prayer service. We do it five times in each of the prayers, and then we do it an additional five times when the Chazan, the Shliach Tzibur, does his repetition of the prayers. The kapara of Yom Kippur, the atonement of Yom Kippur, is not just to clear the slate for this particular sin, but to clear the person. To be able to now have God accept me once again as a person with whom he has a relationship. One could argue that this is, in fact, is the case Every time we do vidui, and every time we try to get atonement for particular sins, it isn't just a question of erasing that sin. It's a question of the break, the breach in the relationship that was caused by that sin that needs to be repaired. And this is what the vidui does. It helps us once again to be in relationship with God. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30, it says, Kivayom azeh yichaper alechem letaher etchem. On this day, God will atone for you to purify you. Mikol chatotechem from all your sins. Lefnei Hashem titaru 
before God be purified. There is another concept, not only of tahar, not only of kapara of atonement, but of tahara, of purification. Atonement brings me back in relationship to God. It enables me to renew the covenant. To begin again. But purification takes it one step further. And in fact, it seems from the language of the verse, on this day you will be atoned to purify. And once again, Rabbi Soloveitchik discusses what is purification? How do we understand it? And he says, when a person sins, not only do they do something which has a consequence, which perhaps has a penalty, not only have they created a breach in their relationship with God, it's more than that. Or maybe let's examine it from a slightly different angle. What they have done is to defile themselves. Sin defiles. We find this concept in a number of places. One place is in Breshi, chapter 33, in the rape of Dinah. It talks about the act of rape as being an act of defilement. We find this in chapter 11, in chapter 18 of Leviticus. In chapter 11, we talk about prohibited foods, the laws of kashrut. And it says at the end of the chapter, don't defile yourselves by eating these types of objects, these vermin. In chapter 18, which talks about prohibited sexual relationships, it says, don't defile yourself at the end of the chapter by engaging in these practices. And in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, chapter 35, at the end of the chapter, It speaks about not defiling the land by not bringing a murderer to justice. The act of murder defiles the land. It defiles the person. What does that mean? It would seem to me that whenever a person commits a sin, in effect, what they have done is they have diminished their divine image, their human dignity. So that, if we spoke earlier of how sin creates a breach between me and God, 
it's not just a breach between me and the God who's some abstract concept, who's living in the upper stratosphere. It's a breach between me and the God who lives within me. When I sin, I drive God outside of me. And in that act, I lose my human dignity. And therefore, Shuva attempts to restore my human dignity, to bring the divine image back into me. It is not just a question of renewing a relationship with someone or something outside of me. It truly is to now be at one with God, where God is very much residing within me. Shuva is transformative. Vidui is part of that process of transformation. Not only a formula that will somehow give me a chance to renew the covenant, but vidui is important for me to be able to change. It's not enough to think something. I need to articulate it. And by the act of articulation, I create a reality. God created the world through speech. I create myself. Once again, through the speech. I would like to end... with another idea that Rabbi Salvechik discusses. And that is different types of tshuva. There is what we call emotional tshuva and there is intellectual tshuva. When the person confesses and says, I have sinned, transgressed, acted criminally, on what basis do they make that statement? Sometimes it could be the result of deep soul searching. It could be that a person thinks very, very seriously, learns, and comes to an awareness that something is a sin and now wants to correct it. That is an intellectual process. 
I recognize, I acknowledge, based on my learning, that this is wrong. But sometimes, a person experiences something that jolts him to his core, which makes him realize this is terribly wrong. Sometimes experiences can be more powerful than an intellectual awareness. I imagine that there are many people who intellectually can acknowledge gossiping is wrong. And yet, nevertheless, they find it difficult to change and to do something about it. Yes, it's true. We shouldn't do this. But they don't appreciate to the depths of their soul how devastating it can be. Sometimes, when you see someone who's been extremely hurt by gossip, when you see the pain that you've caused, and perhaps not what you've caused, what someone else has caused, that can be an impetus to never do it again. There are different paths to repentance. For some people, they simply need to read, to learn, to hear. For other people, they need to see and experience. Each one is a way to tshuva. And one last thought. In the Talmud, in Masechet Yoma, at the very end, it discusses two types of tshuva. Tshuva me'ahava, tshuva of love, and tshuva of yirah, tshuva of fear. In the Talmud it says, one who does tshuva out of fear Whatever sins he did will be ascribed to him as unintentional. One who does tshuva out of love, his sins become viewed as credits, as merits.
It is interesting, and if you look on page three of my source sheet, that in chapter two, in Halakha two, when Maimonides talks about what is tshuva, he says that a person should leave the sin. And then afterwards he goes on to discuss what is the path of repentance. And he speaks at length of different elements, one of which is that you distance yourself as far as you can from the sin. Rabbi Soloveitchik describes that as tshuva of fear. Tshuva of fear is where I acknowledge that I sinned, but I'm afraid of my sin. I'm afraid of my ability to really confront it, to engage it, to overcome it. So that what I do is I run away from it. I try to distance myself as far as I can so that I'll never fall into the trap. When one does tshuva out of fear, one cuts themselves off from their past. One might even say, one distances themselves from who they were, from something that was very much a part of who they are. In Shuvah Me'ava, there is a different way of dealing with sin. Rather than distance myself, I engage it. I integrate it. Rather than cutting myself off from my past, I try to integrate my past into my future. Rather than being afraid I am confident and empowered. I take the sin and I use it as a lever, as a driving force to power me to bring more good into the world. If I take as an example people who are on drugs, People had a drinking problem. There are some people who, when they want to solve their problem, try to stay as far away as they can from drugs, from those taking drugs, from alcohol, from any type of environment where alcohol is present. And there are other people who come to the point where rather than running away from it, they integrate it. Who having been there, now see it as their life's work to go out and engage those people who are taking drugs or on alcohol and to be able to them and to be able to speak to them, to wean them, to be able to say to them, I was there, but I'm not there anymore. 
because I had that experience. I am now able to communicate with those people where others cannot. That is tshuva me'ahava. In the tshuva me'ahava, I don't deny who I was. In the tshuva me'ahava, I accept it, and I now try to use it to create a better world. It is much more difficult to do tshuva me'ahava than tshuva me'ira. As I mentioned in the beginning of the in the beginning of the podcast, tshuva is a very difficult thing. In fact, it is so difficult that you need divine assistance to help you do it. Some people are overwhelmed by the idea of tshuva, and if they're going to do it, they have to run away. They have to distance themselves, create a new identity, say to themselves, whatever I was, I'm blotting out of my memory. In effect, they have to disengage from part of themselves. They have to cut off part of who they are. And sometimes that may be the only way to be able to become a different person. But ideally, the Torah would like to see people doing tshuva me'ahava, where one is able to be confident enough in who they become so that they can look back at their past and take all of their experiences but now redirect them, redirect them for good. And have this force which can now empower them to create a much better reality. May we be able to experience the unbelievable opportunity which we have on Yom Kippur to confront ourselves and ask ourselves who we are, to be able to be self-critical, to be able to acknowledge that we have somehow left ourselves And to be able to seek that divine assistance, to be able to once again come back into a relationship with God, to come back to ourselves, to become empowered so that through the recognition of our faults, we can now create a more perfect reality. 
I wish everyone a Gemar Chatimatova. May we all be inscribed in the Book of Life. May we all start a new chapter in our lives. But may this chapter be part of the ongoing book which we write. And may it be a logical continuation of who we are. Chag Sameach. Thank you for listening to Pardes North America's Greatest Hits, The High Holidays. If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Visit pardes.org.il for more ways to learn with us. Thanks for listening.